This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to the 5th Annual Cannabis Opportunities Conference, 3rd Annual Black Cannabis Week, powered by the Diasporic Alliance for Cannabis Opportunities and sponsored by CannabisRadio.com, the premier podcast network for all things cannabis and psychedelics. Today, a panel of prominent political leaders present our Cannabis Policy Forum, where we will discuss ending cannabis prohibition at the state and federal level and the prioritization of social equity and expungement. Please welcome our panelists, Jordan Harris, Darisha Parker, Chris Robb, Derek Green, United States Senator Cory Booker, and the moderator of our panel, Pennsylvania State Senator Sharif Street. All right, how's everybody doing today? Good. I think for most of you know, I'm Senator Sharif Street. Uh, I'm Pennsylvania State Senator and one of the hosts of this Cannabis Opportunities Conference. I'm pleased to be joined by a number of my colleagues, and I think when we will do this, we'll have them each introduce themselves, but they are all esteemed individuals um, who have been leaders in this space. Um, uh, uh, the time to for cannabis legalization is here. Uh, it's certainly that something that we should, in fact, um, be moving forward with. I have been, I am one of many legislators um, who, is, who is a sponsor of uh, cannabis legalization legislation. Um, and some of the points that were earlier made, uh, yes, in Pennsylvania, we've, we're, the legislation as contemplated um, would allow people who've had cannabis convictions to um, to participate. As a matter of fact, uh, taking the nod from my little brother who's the big dog in the house, um, we made sure that the legislation um, expunged or sealed the records of every person who's ever had a cannabis conviction in Pennsylvania should it pass. Um, we want to make sure, there. Are, we'll get more into it as we go forward, but we looked at social equity licenses, a social equity fund, we talked about making sure small and diverse businesses could be engaged. We, there are provisions um, to deal with intoxication, uh, reasonable standards for intoxication, um, and there are. And we even looked at uh, dealing with making sure we have appropriate market regulation by having a cannabis control board, so that the the uh, large MSAs can't just overproduce and put everyone else out of business. So we'll get deeper into the legislation, but uh, I now pass the mic down. Um, I guess we all got our own mics. So I now <laughs> yield, the, yield the floor to uh, my colleague in the House of Representatives, who is the whip of the Pennsylvania House of Representatives and who has been a leader in criminal justice reform and a supporter of cannabis for some time, the Honorable State Representative Jordan Harris. Uh, so, well, that, that was cool. Uh, thanks for the intro. No, I'm Jordan Harris. I represent uh, the 186th district, which is in parts of South and Southwest Philly. So Point Breeze, Grays Ferry, Graduate Hospital in King Sessing are part of my district. And I do serve as the Democratic whip in the Pennsylvania House of Representatives. Um, I do want to make mention before I start, 
former member who is here uh, with us, uh, former majority leader, uh, Todd Eaches is here in the back. Um, um, so wait, was the last time we were in the majority, we, were you leader last time we were in the majority? 2010, yeah. Can you come down here? Yeah, so, 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 right. So Todd. Todd Eaches, Todd, come on down. Yeah, Todd, yeah, right. So Todd is a former member of the House, but he was, he's the last time, last time we and the Democratic Caucus had a, a, a majority leader uh, is when Todd, when Todd was there. So I, I do want to make mention and make sure y'all 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 know Todd um, um, for his for 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 his service to the Commonwealth. So uh, r real quick, um, I came to this space uh, uh, in, in two folds. One because of the criminal justice aspect of it. Um, criminal justice reform has been a focus of my career since walking into the Capitol. I am the co-author of the nation's first uh, automatic record sealing law, which is the Clean Slate Act. Um, we passed that here in Pennsylvania in 2018. Since then, uh, more than 10 states have uh, enacted clean slate laws in their state. More than half of them, half of the states in the nation have, have introduced them. And just yesterday, literally just yesterday, Clean Slate Act made its way out of the House Judiciary Committee and the United States Congress and the U.S. House of Representatives, um, following the work that we actually started here in Pennsylvania. So I came, I came to this work. Appreciate that. I came to this work first from the criminal justice aspect, understanding that we shouldn't be locking people up for smoking weed. Like that just makes absolutely no sense that we're locking people up. Second part is for, for me is that I do think there's a, I think one I know that there's a business piece, but for me. Black and brown folk and poor folk need to be able to have an entry point to that business as well. Uh, so that's why I'm interested. That's why I continue to be interested and continue to fight uh, to make sure that as we as a commonwealth move forward, because I do believe legalization is going to happen in Pennsylvania. But one of the things that I've cautioned people about is that we have to be cautious that when we move forward, that we don't leave people behind because this will be the, nut, the the next big boom industry in our country that black, brown folk and poor folk will be left out of if we're not prepared uh, to, to be ready for when it happens. So thanks, uh, Sharif, for having me. I'm glad to be here. I can introduce you. I can introduce you. That's like courtesy. Like I introduce So I don't even know what to call you now. So yeah, just Derek. Derek. So my mama called me Derek. Nah, seriously. Um, when we've done work in Harrisburg, there, um, seriously, in city council, there is one person uh, who we've always been on the phone talking about cannabis and what it means for Philadelphia, how to Philadelphia get licenses and, you know, trying to maneuver the politics around that. Uh, at that time, he was a city councilman. Now he has stepped away to uh, uh, explore other areas. And, and, and actually, and he's I guess you're the only one who has said it. Uh, he is running for mayor of the city of Philadelphia next year. My friend, Derek Green. Uh, and you left out, he's, you left out, he's a member of the greatest fraternity known to man and God, Cap Alpha Psi. Well, I don't thing. know that to be the truth. I mean, <laughs> I know him being a Kappa is the truth, but the greatest fraternity of all time is Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity uh, Incorporated. Wow. I like that blue in your, 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 your jacket there. Sometimes when you're on a college campus, you know, the, the collegiate ac activities come out, but it's a, it's a pleasure to be here uh, this afternoon. This is the fifth annual conference so Sharon um, thank you for your leadership and Senator Street thank you for your leadership in bringing this conference back I know we've had a little hiccup with the pandemic but it's still great to be here and to continue this conversation um, as my friend State Representative Jordan Harris said my name is Derek Green I'm a former member of City Council I'm now um, a candidate for mayor in this great city of city of brotherly love and as my wife always reminds me sisterly effective but um, the reason why I'm here for this conversation, I was listening to Representative Harris talk about his path to um, being in this space. And I have a similar path in reference to seeing what has happened in the city of Philadelphia and cities all around this nation dealing with the issue of cannabis and how it is over-criminalized black and brown um, citizens around our country. You know, in city council, um, before I became a member of council, we decriminalized small amounts of cannabis uh, from a 
from the same perspective that Representative Harris talked about. But I also come to this um, issue not only because of the impact it has had on black and brown communities and the potential benefit it could have from an economic perspective, because as a former small business lender from Meridian Bank at Broad and Glenwood, I'm often looking at how we create wealth in communities of color especially. Um, that is the aspect that we have not gotten to as part of the civil rights struggle. How do we create wealth for black and brown communities to really finally um, level the playing field? Um, but also because I have a son uh, on the autism spectrum. Uh, my son, um, Julian, is now 21. In fact, the day I announced my campaign for mayor was his first day at St. Joseph University in a post-secondary program. He graduated from Hill Freeman High School um, in June. But number of parents and guardians and friends um, came to me some years ago about their support for cannabis and especially medical cannabis in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and other jurisdictions and how it was helping their children and helping their children who happen to be on the autism spectrum to have better quality of life. So this is an issue that, and I've been a strong advocate in how we address issues for people that have uh, physical and learning differences, and seeing mothers who are very strong advocates to help get the medical cannabis legislation passed in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania because they saw how this um, product can really help their children and their and their um, siblings and friends, and was something that I saw help move the needle in Harrisburg. And so, is as a member of City Council, we, I've tried to continue to work on that issue, be an advocate, and help to educate some of my more seasoned members that I know Representative Park has also had to deal with, to let them know why what you think about cannabis is really what you should not be thinking about cannabis and how this is a product that can help people all over uh, the city of Philadelphia and all over the nation. So locally, um, some of the legislation I have done, um, last year there was a ballot question, um, basically um, having citizens in the city of Philadelphia um, basically say to not these colleagues, because they support, but others in Harrisburg, why that we should have the opportunity for citizens in the city of Philadelphia and around the Commonwealth to be able to have adult use um, cannabis in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Uh, that was supported overwhelmingly in the November 2021 general election. Uh, but also legislation that I've done is in reference to how now that we have adult excuse me, medical cannabis that can help people, especially those on the autism spectrum, but it's still being used in a negative way for job employment. You know, for so many advocates and those who are doing self-advocacy who are on the autism spectrum, getting employment is very important and it's a very hard challenge to get employment. But then I have talked to people, some that I've met over the years, who finally have been able to get employment and are using medical cannabis as a way to help them have a better quality of life. But because they're doing that, they're being discriminated against in trying to get a job. And so we passed legislation in April of last year saying that in the city of Philadelphia, you cannot use cannabis as a pre-screening determinant to not allow someone to get a job. Because it does not make sense that if I'm someone on the autism spectrum, I'm getting a referral from my physician to allow me to get uh, medical cannabis in order to help me have a better quality of life. And that's legal at the state level. But then if I try to get a job here in the city of Philadelphia, that's being used against me. And that doesn't make sense that the state says you can do it, but then an employer is going to say you can't. And so that to me seemed very contradictory. And I remember talking to uh, a young man who I met years ago um, at LaSalle University, and he had opportunity to graduate from high school and had a chance to graduate from college uh, on the autism spectrum and went to multiple jobs. And some jobs, he told them up front, listen, I use medical cannabis to help me with my autism. And other jobs, we didn't say that. But in all of those situations, he was denied employment. So it just did not make sense to have that type of contradiction here in the city of Philadelphia where you can get a medical cannabis card to help you. But then that same 
help you're getting is going to hurt you in employment. So that was legislation that we did um, last year, and I'll continue to be an advocate for these type of issues because I've seen what it's done for families all around, not only the city of Philadelphia, but around the Commonwealth, but around the nation, and I think it's something that we need to educate people about why this type of movement needs to occur, and I'm looking forward to the time when my colleagues who are pushing for this issue will be able to get it done in Harrisburg to help all the citizens of the city of Philadelphia and in Commonwealth Pennsylvania. Thank you. Better? Maybe here. Thank you, DG. How's everybody doing? Um, I am the only female up here, and that's cool. And I'm going to tell you why. Senator Street and I go way back. And for those who don't know, the whip and I, I was his spokesperson when he first ran for state rep, and he won successfully. Um, I'm just, I got to throw it out there. And um, when we're talking about this space, and I was talking about, you know, seeking political office, I went and had a conversation with the senator. I said, bro, I'm looking at all these committees. What do I need to do? Where I need to go? What, what, it's all these things coming at me. I said, and, my, and, my, and the people I'm talking to in the district want to know where I am, where do I stand on cannabis? What, what, what's my position? What do I need to say? He said, my best advice for you, get on agriculture and rural affairs. And I'm on it. He gives great advice. And I said, well, you know, a lot of people are going to be voting for me. So who, what other kind of committee? He was like, you need to get on aging, older adults. And I said, well, I need to talk about money. We need to talk money. We need to talk about other stuff. And I got on commerce. And another committee is, is consumer affairs. So I just threw some titles at you because when we're talking about this issue of cannabis, I went to the people. And I asked them seriously, what do they want to see in a person like me, and what do they want? Well, first, a couple of them wanted me to take them to go buy some weed, not just say, wait, hold on, we can't, hold on. <laughs> I said, Let's be real clear, I can't buy the weed for you, you got to get your own weed. I don't want to be around with that, that little transaction. But in all seriousness, the biggest conversations were from older adult African-American women, 65 and older, who, and guess what, Caucasian women, were stopping me and saying, what is your position, Rep. Parker? What are you going to do? Where are you voting? Where are we going to, when is it going to get legal? And I'm thinking it was going to be, because you know, when you're looking at people of color, that's still not the conversation that we say up front. Let's be real. You know, I'm a real person up here. We still don't really say that we engage in a plant that's in the earth, right? But I smell it when I walk past your house, or I smell it when I'm in my, I smell it, but we don't talk about it, right? But in other ethnics groups, they were very outspoken to me on several occasions to the point that they actually said, if you need us to come to Harrisburg to talk to the other side to find out why they're dragging their ass, we're going to be there. And we bring in a bus. I said, are y'all going to smoke on the bus? They said, yes. I said, OK, well, I, I can't judge. <clears throat> So when you hear all of these conversations, I knew that this was going to be one of my um, pieces that I want to make sure that we have legalized recreational cannabis, marijuana, Chiba, good, good, whatever, you know, all the little acronyms. But I want to make sure that African-Americans are in not just a talking point, but are in equity side of as business owners, not as a percentage that certain people put you on that on that contract or that bid so they can be the majority, but that we can be in that space and actually have some some say in a product that's grown as a plant. And that's the conversation that I'm going to continue to have. That's the conversation that I'm always had because I'm happy and proud to say that I'm 50. And when it's getting cold, I love the cream on my knees because I'm telling y'all, it's rough running those. <laughs> it's rough walking those corridors in Harrisburg. I mean, it's long days and some long nights. And 
And you know who gave me the best advice? It was a 70-year-old woman. I told her I was going back to Harrisburg, and I was like, I'm not feeling good. I was like, my aches, my pains, my joint. She said, come on and see me, sis. I said, okay. I went by her house. She had a whole, that's all she had, all the products, everything she used. And she was 70, and her, her sister was 85. That's all they use is products. On their backs, their, their joints, their, their shoulders, they were making teas and everything. And I was just so amused. I was like, if I stay in here any longer, I'm going to have to call the whip and say I'm sick because it's so much in here that I can't, you know, consume it or just learn about it in one day. And to me, um, that's what it's about. It's about more people understanding it and no judgment here. But we got to have real conversation how people of color, if we're going to smoke it and if we're going to talk about it, it has to be some equity about it. I mean, some people need to be out of prison. That's why I got the professor here who's going to lay down some real, real powerful legislation that we put our names on and he's going to bring it on home and understand when that 420 comes around, I invite y'all to Harrisburg. You'll see me in my orange 420 shirt, 198, Rep Parker on there and, and join us on the steps because we got to make sure we let everybody know it's time. And that was the one and only Representative Theresha Parker. And if I could just piggyback real quick on what Representative Parker said. When I was the board chair for Center in the Park, and this is years ago when I actually had a little bit of hair, there were seasoned citizens coming up to me saying, my friend, I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> see, you see this hot mic, see this? Right. So there were seasoned citizens, my dad's 90, doesn't call himself a senior citizen, but a seasoned citizen, and they were talking to me about CBD, and I was looking at them just like you were, CBD, because I had friends in California and other parts of the country that were sending them this oil and other stuff to rub on their elbows because of their pain. So there's a lot more people in this space than you think. And next we're gonna hear from Rep Reb. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, I'm State Representative Chris Rabb, AKA Rep Rabb, 200th Legislative District, Northwest Philly. Um, I'm honored to be here. I think I've been here every year. This is a very moving um, experience for me because I think the first time this place was packed and it was like aggressively black. And I hadn't been in this, I hadn't been in a environment where you're talking about cannabis, talking about cannabis policy, and it's majority black. And that was a, it was a beautiful thing. It's a shame that I had to be surprised about it, but this didn't just happen. Um, the leaders here created this moment, created this resource that we can't take for granted. So I, I first wanna um, uh, shout out um, DACO because this is, this is, this is not, this is not an everyday occurrence. There's people who've been interested in cannabis a long time, have never been in a room uh, where the majority is black, and I, I don't use minority unless I'm referring to white people. So I just wanna put that out there. When we talk about the global capital markets and all of that, the minority is white. Um, we, we have to really fix our perspectives, okay? What I wanna first say is, um, so I'm a, I'm a medical cannabis, uh, cardholder. I'm a patient. And, but I, I want to just, I want to say something a little deeper, and that is, I've never been high. I'm, I ain't never been high. I'm 52 years old. I, I'm not proud of that, and I'm not ashamed of it. I've just, that just wasn't my thing. But the reason I started using cannabis was because I suffer from PTSD. And it's not something I like to talk about, but I feel I have to talk about it because this society is awash in trauma. I don't, it is not fair to have a conversation about anything on these levels without honoring that reality because we would be talking in a vacuum and we would be disingenuous if we did not make that point. We are awash in trauma. This is a violent society and it did not happen because of a district attorney, did not happen because of a president, it happened because the very nature and history of this nation was born out of extraordinary institutional violence. And if this plant 
If this plant can give us some salve, some balm, then we need to lean into that. But we need to do it equitably. That's, that's the, the fancy thing that we're all saying now, equity. What's that mean? It means fairness. It's not being thought of as, as a, uh, oh, well, we ought to add these people in the last minute. No, no, we're at the table. Our voices are as strong as anyone else's and that the outcomes look like our nation. And that's something that is really hard to do, but I'm in really good company here because I know everybody up here feels the same way. But I do want to mention something else as we move towards legalization, because it will happen. Am I right, Whip? It's, it's going to happen. Um, how it happens is as important that, as when it happens, because we all want it to happen. But if we do this the wrong way, mm, we're going to have some problems. Because this can be done in an ass-backward way. And we cannot allow that to happen. But what I want to focus on very briefly is the here and now. Raise your hand if you have a job. And it's not bragging. Just raise your hand if you've got a job. Keep your hand up if you have a job in Pennsylvania. Okay? Um, keep your hand up if you're comfortable. If you, like me, are a patient, medical cannabis patient. All right. Okay, keep them up. Look around, folks. Um, you can be fired. Yeah, now your hands can go down. <laughs> Put them down. Your hands can be fired. You, you can be fired for doing something that is legal. Okay, I'm going to break this down a little further. If you work in a clinical registrant like Temple, Health System, uh, Einstein, Jefferson, there's Penn State, and you get in all this state money, maybe federal money, from that institution. You work there. They're pro-cannabis research. And you acknowledge that you are a medical cannabis patient. They can fire you. But they're getting money from you, the taxpayer, to do all this cannabis research. And you say, oh, yeah, I love cannabis. I'm a medical cannabis patient. Helps me with my anxiety. You can be fired right now in Pennsylvania. Okay? Right now. Does anyone have um, a medical cannabis card and also a driver's license? Okay, you see my hand up? I'm a, I'm a fancy state lawmaker. I drive 104 miles from, from my house to the state capitol and I take the turnpike. I don't just sweat driving behind the wheel because I'm a black man. I'm sweating because I have cannabis in my system all the time. Because I use a tincture to knock me out. But let's say I took a tincture three weeks ago. It's in my system. It's in my system. And if something goes sideways and I get pulled over by a state trooper, for whatever reason, they test me, there's going to be cannabis. And guess what happens to me? What do I get? A DUI. Even though I was never impaired even when I took the tincture moments later, because I don't take it to get high. It doesn't matter. The state laws have not caught up to where we are. So just because New Jersey's doing stuff and Illinois and stuff is happening on the federal level, you are not safe. So the first thing we have to do is become educated. We have to educate ourselves. Also, I'll just put this out there. If you own a gun legally, <laughs> you can buy a gun. You can't possess it. Does that make sense? No, it shouldn't make sense because it's crazy. You can own a gun. You can buy a gun legally. You can't have it. You cannot possess a firearm if you have a medical cannabis patient card. So there are all these different things right now that could get you hemmed up in the system and you just think you're doing the right thing. Your doctor knows about it. You've done your research. You paid your fee, done all those things and you can get caught up. And if you're black, you know it's going to be a lot worse. So as we work towards adult use um, legalization, don't sleep because there's work we have to do right now to make sure we don't get caught up. While you're thinking about ideas of starting a dispensary or grow or whatever, 
I want you to get, hold on to those dreams and learn how you can do it, but you also have to keep yourself safe and, and educate yourself about the things that could impact your lives right now, right now. And the way you do that is by engaging elected officials, other stakeholders who are committed to this and doing it equitably, right? This is your responsibility and I wanna help you and I know everyone on this panel wants to help you too because this is people's lives. This is people's lives and things can go sideways very quickly. So this is why I love policy because ultimately Policy informs the decisions that everyone makes, whether they know it or not. And I believe in this context, there's so much we can learn from each other so that we can move forward so that when we do legalize adult use cannabis, there will be true equity. Thank you. Wow. So, Rep. Rab, once again, bringing the fire. Um, just we're going to dig in a lot of those issues that he raised. But uh, and by the way, as a commercial for the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, it's the position of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania that as long as the firearm is in Pennsylvania, purchased, uh, and you are you acting in a way in a manner consistent with Pennsylvania law, that you can possess it. Although the position of the federal government is you cannot. So, um, it is the position of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania that you can possess the firearm. It is the position of the Pennsylvania. Well, the Pennsylvania you can. It's the position of the federal government that you cannot. Um, and if anybody's interested, you can get yourself arrested, and then you can. We'll have a lengthy legal case, and we can determine who's right. Um, but in the meantime, a word from our federal government. I think we have a good friend who's been a champion of cannabis at the federal level, um, the Honorable U.S. Senator Cory Booker. Hi, everybody. I'm Cory Booker, and I want to thank you for allowing me to say a few words as you all gather together for this fifth annual. Cannabis Opportunities Conference. I want to thank my friend, Senator Street, truly, truly a great friend and an even greater leader for coordinating and hosting this important conversation. He is the guy. Look, it's an honor to be talking to you. I'm glad that there is this forum and I am looking forward to moving policies forward. Over the past years, we have made incredible strides towards cannabis legalization. With a majority of Americans, both sides of the aisle, in support of legalization, we know that this has opportunities. We need, though, to continue to evolve our focus, our vision, and our strategies to make sure that economically, socially, and especially within our criminal justice system, we are expanding fairness, equality, and opportunity. And so to really move the needle, I know we don't just need great local and state actors, we need action on the federal level. That's why I introduced the Cannabis Administration and Opportunity Act alongside the Senate Majority Leader and the Chairman of the Finance Committee, Senator Wyden. These are my partners. And so this legislation is comprehensive. It would end the harmful prohibition on the federal level of cannabis by removing cannabis from the, from the federal list of controlled substances and empowering states to implement their own cannabis laws. Also in the bill is a big commitment to restorative justice, support for small and minority owned cannabis businesses, expungement of federal cannabis offenses, and more. You see, this legislation isn't just about legalization. It is about justice. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. 
From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Opportunity and accountability. And so I'm really grateful that you all are gathered here. This legalization movement has really got to continue to focus on removing barriers to justice for marginalized communities. This movement has got to be about expanding economic opportunities and democratizing those opportunities as well. This movement has to be about not allowing us in any way to move backwards, but continuing to take strides forward towards justice. So we know there is a historic opportunity right now for our country to rectify past wrongs and to create a more just, fair, and America with more opportunity. And so I'm grateful for your advocacy. I'm grateful for your leadership. I'm grateful, frankly, for many of you who've been a partner of mine in getting it done. We have a lot of work to do. There will be challenges. There's still mountains to climb. But I know we will make progress. I know we'll make it to the mountaintop. I know we will get to a point in this country because of our labors where justice rolls down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Thank you so much. All right. Well, when I thank Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm Cory Booker, and I want to thank you for allowing uh, we want to thank Senator Booker for uh, being a supporter. Uh, he's consistently supported this conference. Um, but we're going to dig in because I know some folks have things to do. Uh, Rev. Brad brought up some interesting issues about how we keep people safe. There is an issue around um, um, ambiguities in the law around owning a firearm. State says it's cool. You're following state law. Fed says no dice. You're violating federal law. There are issues around internally that were brought up around intoxication. Um, if you're, is it intoxication or incapacitation? Incapacitation would say, are you, can you uh, function? Are, are you, are you have any brain, uh, is your brain in any way impaired? Intoxication just says, is there the presence of cannabinoids in your system? Um, and these are some of the issues we're wrestling with at the state level. And yes, the issue has been brought up and should be reinforced because uh, black and brown folks are four to five times nationally more likely to uh, encounter uh, law enforcement and cannabis, and one study said six times more likely in, a co in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Um, when we have this in ambiguity in the law, you're a lot more likely uh, to have a bit, have a bad situation. Although we don't keep data, I always point out that guess what? You're, I, I anecdotally believe that if you're poor, white, and live in uh, Kensington uh, or North Philadelphia or in South Philadelphia, you're a lot more likely to encounter a law enforcement issue than if you are wealthy and white and live in Chestnut Hill or Rittenhouse Square. And we don't keep data on that, but we do know anecdotally that poor white folks encounter law enforcement a lot more likely than rich white folks. We just don't keep economic-based data like that. So um, what are some of the things, the legislature's looking at a bunch of things. We've got Derek who can, at a local level, look at enforcement. We've got a few state legislators that have talked about it from a policy perspective from state legislature. What are some of the changes we need? Rep. Rab, you brought the conversation up. What are some things we need to be doing right now to, uh, as a government to address some of these issues? <laughs> well, that's a long list. Um, <laughs> that's a long list. Um, well, first, I, I, I just go to the whole responsibility of literacy, right? Letting people know what's what, right? I mean, we, we had a policy until 2019 where hemp, hemp was considered a controlled substance. How much hemp do you have to smoke to get high? I don't know if there's a record or something, but I don't think it's possible. I mean, I'm no scientist, but I'm pretty sure there's not enough THC to get high off of hemp. Um, so that's the federal government. 
like saying, eh, science, I don't know. <laughs> right? <laughs> so just understanding the science. When we even look at the current Office of Medical Marijuana, and the uh, and I'm I'm going to defer to uh, uh, the whip on this since uh, uh, Rep Park and I weren't in office at the time. The law that created medical cannabis, right? Like th there's some things I just don't get. Right? <laughs> Any number of things I don't get, like. I had a doctor who knew nothing about cannabis, my internist, and was fairly anti, but was registered as one of the doctors who could do it, right? But she wasn't a specialist, so I had to go to a psychiatrist who also was anti-cannabis. In fact, he was so anti-cannabis that when he diagnosed me, he didn't tell me that he had diagnosed me. I had to find it in an invoice, and I saw some scribble. I'm saying, hey, doc, what's this? He goes, oh, that's a diagnostic code. I'm like, okay. Um, what does it mean? <laughs> he said, oh, that means that you have PTSD. And I'm like, were well, you going to tell me, or are you going to wait like 10 other sessions to tell me? So I felt like I was punked. Because maybe if I had known early, I wouldn't keep going back to him. But when he betrayed my trust, I didn't. And I am in therapy too. Weed is not therapy, okay? You can have multiple things that help you. I am also in therapy. But I say all this to say that the system that exists is not perfect, and there are no perfect systems. Um, but what we have to understand is the basics. We can't have a conversation without knowing what's green to you is blue to me. No. And one of the, the, the things I want to kind of bring this home with is when I was trying to discuss this issue with older black women, we all talk about, you know, the older black women show up, they vote, they come to community events, they're engaged, they are the heart of our communities, and they had a really big problem with cannabis. And they're going to put a medical dispensary not far from, from where uh, <laughs> my Brother Green and I live, just, you know, and there was a lot of outrage. And some of that outrage was because the, the business owner did not tell us what was happening. They're like, hey, we're here in a really bad spot that really wasn't good for that business. But the other part was that there was an opposition to the dispensary itself, irrespective of where it was. Yeah. And my perspective was always, no, we want dispensaries in our communities. Because this is in, these are important products for those of us who have various ailments, and they can create some really good local jobs. I would take a dispensary over a Wendy's any day. We have predatory businesses overrepresented in our communities. Dispensaries are not one of them. And ideally, these dispensaries can also be black owned. Am I radical in saying that? No, you're right. Damn. Right. right. I mean, so. We, we can get down into the policy stuff, but at the, at the end of the day, this is a visceral subject matter where people have strong opinions, but with very little information. So when I talked, when I said dispensary, um, the seniors were saying uh, drug dens. Yes. Corner operations where folks are laid out on the street and, and doing all kinds of stuff. And I finally got to a point, and I, some of my staff was not pleased by this. Um, I, I brought it up when no one else did to, to, at a community event. I said, look, um, I'm not telling you to smoke weed. <laughs> I'm not, that's not my job. I said, but you need to know that dispensaries are coming whether you like it or not, and they will be in our community. Would you like to visit a dispensary and see for yourself? And one of the most ardently opposed people said, yeah. So I picked her up at her house, and we, we drove to a dispensary. And she was like, damn, <laughs> this is nice, OK. And she learned about the products and stuff. It was like kind of like a spa day, kind of like, OK. I'm like, Everything's 
Everything, Everything right. It was clean and professional and glittery and all of the stuff, right? And she was like, she was not happy with me, you know, promoting cannabis, whatever. But when she came out of that dispensary, she had a very different perspective. And here's, here's my point around this, which relates to everything we're, we're talking about. And that is, if you don't give folks some substantive idea about what it is you're working on, something that they can relate to, if you can reach people where they are, you have a much better chance, not being all intellectual and getting into all the legislative stuff, but make it real for folks, you have the ability to start a conversation in good faith because she had no point of reference. She had never been to a dispensary before. So all she was thinking was drugged in. So it didn't matter how, how legitimate I was and how I was trying to help the community. None of that mattered. She was like drugged in, drugged in until we showed her. We didn't tell her. We showed her and she made up her own mind. And the idea of just bringing people into the conversation by letting them see and making informed decisions is how we're going to actually move on the most important policy issues that we face as legislators. And that's what I recommend to all of you. You don't have to be a legislator to pick someone up and, and show them, but let them see it for themselves. Don't talk at them. Show them. Rep. Harris, I think it was pointed out you were you were there when the law was written, and that you were responsible for all of the all of the errors in the law because you were supposed to correct it. So, can you can you explain why why you made all those mistakes? So, first of all, y'all make me feel old, and I'm the youngest one at this table. But but um, so I was in the legislature when the law passed, and I think what folks need to understand. Uh, and, you know, as the whip, my job, uh, my primary job is to count the votes. That's what the term whip means. Like, it's, it's kind of like the whip, whipping people in line. That's what the, where it comes from. But the truth is, I'm the numbers counter. Like, I count the votes. Uh, so I have an intimate relationship with numbers and what is necessary to pass a bill. Uh, it's real simple in Harrisburg. You need 102 in the House, 26 in the Senate and you need one governor to sign it. That's how it happens. It's just that simple. So when you look at some of the flaws in the law, right, a lot of that came out of the necessity for consensus to be built to get enough Republicans. And, and if I'm being honest, some Democrats, because there are still some conservative Democrats yeah. who are not necessarily so on cannabis. Uh, I remember uh, I remember the day we voted on it, and there was, a, there was a state rep by the name of Matt Baker. I think that is, yeah, but Baker. He was the chair of the health committee. And Baker, uh, yeah, he's very, very much against uh, legalization of cannabis. And he literally stood up and just tried to semi-filibuster semi the bill by just reading all of these different uh, studies that he had pulled out or uh, whatever. Interestingly enough, in the previous administration, he left to go work at the Department of Health and Human Services for the federal government. Um, but but you, had to, you had to put things in and put safeguards in and put things in that folks would be willing to vote for. Now, that was... It was at, where were we at, like eight years ago now? The climate on cannabis has changed. Uh, the, the makeup of the General Assembly has changed. Um, so I would surmise and submit that um, updates to that legislation could happen because the composition of the legislature is a little bit different. Uh, and hopefully after November, it'll be even more different so that you can get stuff done. Um, that's one thing. So I will say about that. The other thing that I, because the question was, what do we think needs to happen? Honestly, I think more folks need to be honest about their their use of smoking. Like, and we gotta stop saying cannabis too. We gotta start saying colloquial terms that regular folk understand. Because you say, because you say cannabis, some people are like what, you know what I mean? I and and, and I, the reason why I say we gotta be honest about it is because there is a perception that that senior that you were talking about, there's a perception of who's smoking weed, right? So, you know, Rep. Rab said he, you know, has been using cannabis for all these years and he ain't never been high. Well, I have. 
So I don't know what you're talking about, bro. But oh, when I was smoking, that was the goal. You know what I mean? Um, um, uh, people be lying, like not not hell. I'm not saying, but some people be like, oh. Bill Clinton was like, I never inhale. Well, I inhale, and I was like, well, let me try yours because you got a different strand. Let me try anyway. Um, but I think we have to be more honest and open about the fact that you know people do smoke they smoke weed and it's it, it is as com- it's more common i should say than most people think we talk about people being concerned about dispensaries being you know in their community well you do have dispensaries in your community it's called cvs walgreens rite aid they're in our communities right now and they have harder drugs than the one that we're talking about but because we're not able to have these open conversations about who does what i think they're that one of the bigger things that we're having is still this perception problem and at the end of the day and and this is this is for this is politics 101 politics is about perception and i think sometimes we get lost in not understanding that it doesn't matter if that senior is right or wrong in what she believes because it's what she believes and she votes based off of what she believes and elected officials respond based off of how people vote so the perception that people have gives them the idea of who they're going to vote for, who they're not going to vote for. And based off of who they vote for or who they don't vote for, gives us the numbers in the General Assembly to be able to legalize it or not. So that's why for me, when we talk about one of the things that's extremely important, we got to get to the perception problem that we have uh, in the cannabis space. I'm, I'm so glad you said that, Webb, because I'm going to mess your head up real quick. Um, I was recently... You going to tell us about when you smoked? Huh? You going to tell us about when you was getting high? What? You mean gummy bears and smoking? That's what you're talking about? Me? I mean, I do, but not with y'all, but I do. <laughs> <clears throat> I'm about to mess your head up. Has anybody in this room heard of um, Lancaster, PA? Yeah. Lancaster? Lancaster. Lancaster. Get it right. Yeah. Lancaster, PA. Amish country, right? Okay. Amish, right? You think about the long white beards and, and the hats? Do you know I had the best product there? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I've been three times. I might go back. Not tonight. And guess what? And they, I'm their guest. And guess what they told me? They said, when I come back, I need to make sure I bring a busload of older adults because their products were so fresh. And I'm coughing. Y'all hear me now in my sinuses? When I stepped foot there, it was so clear. I didn't sneeze. I didn't cough the entire time. Their head person came down and I was just so amazed. So when people are saying that look like they did, I was the only person of color, along with my people, some people right here, you know, we keep it quiet. Everybody don't need to know our business, but you know, some of the cousins was with me, you know. No, we did not post it on Instagram. No, it wasn't that type of trip. Because when I'm telling you, I was blown away, literally blown away. So that's what I'm telling you with a whip and people like that. When we take this trip, I'm going to make sure it's my older adults and his older adults. And you're going to be blown away. And that's what I want people. Oh, thanks so much. That's what I need people to do. We got to have our eyes open to why Senator Street dropped that gem on me about agriculture rural affairs and older adults i was on acres they had 10 acres 10 acres in lancaster pa so we gotta have our mind our eyes open and be ready to make these collaborations so more people look like us are in this space so we can grow up our businesses all right so we're gonna do this i want councilman you know some people talk about like philly can have their own 
uh, marijuana laws with um, the decriminalization. What's the difference between decriminalization and legalization? Because I think there's a lot of confusion around that. And I know you were a champion of decriminalization. Well, the decriminalization, that's basically a directive that you know, our police department is saying that with small amounts of weed, we're not going to arrest people. Um, but that's not legalization. That's two different perspectives. That's one, enforcement from a criminal law perspective versus legalization, which has got to come from the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Uh, and if you listen to all the things that we're talking about, I think the consistent theme is perception and the perception that people have regarding cannabis. And I think the reason why we were able to get medical cannabis passed is because you had mothers many from the suburbs mm -hmm. who are going to their state representatives who are saying we need to have medical cannabis in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania because my child needs it for quiet life. And that's how the perception was changed because of that type of constituency. So when we think about what we need to do going forward in reference to cannabis legislation, to me there needs to be a cannabis bill of rights. Because if you look at back, we've got medical cannabis legislation. You heard um, Rep. Rav talk about in reference to DUIs, in reference to employment. We need to have a list of bills that are going to clean up some of those issues because it makes no sense that if I can get a medical cannabis card and I'm using it to improve my quality of life, I can be arrested for driving under influence, I can lose my job. And so this, we have this inconsistency within the laws within the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. That's why I did legislation here in Philadelphia in reference to what employers can do. But when we talk about what needs to happen at the state level, that type of bill of rights needs to occur where there's inconsistencies between medical um, marijuana use as allowed through a card and the laws of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. And the way you change that type of inconsistency is having people in this room and rooms all around the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania going to their state senators, their state representatives, and saying how this impacts them. When they start to see that it's not just the perception who's using medical cannabis, but the reality is members of their church their mosque, their synagogue, their neighbor, Kiwanis Club, fraternity, Mason, all of those perspectives. That's how we need to change the perception going forward. And we need to have that type of mobilization, like the initial mobilization that got us medical cannabis to begin with by mothers from communities all around the Commonwealth that some of their elected officials were surprised that were advocates for this issue. So we probably could be going on about this for a long time because um, you guys have, are some of the best, brightest minds about it, and there are so many policy issues to talk about. But we, I, I know we're going to we're going to we're going to have another panel up coming up in a few minutes, and we usually give y'all a bathroom break in between. Um, and so we're, why don't we do this? Let's give some closing uh, remarks for each of you on this on this panel discussion. Uh, how about we'll start with ladies first, Representative Parker. Tell us what your final thoughts are. I want to get to a point that we're legally saying, legally puff, puff, pass, but you know, we got to keep, I need y'all to be able to come up to Harrisburg and make sure that we pass it out of these, uh, out of our committees so this can eventually be legal so we can actually have a conversation so we're looking at 420 and I'm looking at all of you to come as I'm a you know I just came here so I don't have that much money in my war chest I'm looking at them two down there that can invite y'all <laughs> to come up to Harrisburg on 420 so that we can make sure that we have more people ringing it as loud as we possibly can that we need to make recreational make sure we have social equity and we have African American at the table as business owners and licenses for recreational marijuana, cannabis, and weed. Thank you. I wish I had a talk talk in the past. <laughs> uh, not, not that I know anything about that. Um, but I, mean, I think, one, I just want to thank um, Senator Street, Sharon Perry Thomas, for keeping this conversation dialogue going and making sure that people understand that this issue is not going away. Um, the fact that this is a huge economic opportunity coming to the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, coming to um, this nation. Um, and from my perspective, and we've talked a lot about the impacts it's having on consumers and individuals, 
but the impact from an economic perspective, and we, we touched around it a little bit, but I think we need to really focus on that, and that's what both, you know, Rep. Rab, um, uh, Whip Harris, Center Street, as well as Representative Parker have been talking about. We need to make sure when this industry comes, and it is coming because it's too much money, and my concern is that when big agriculture gets involved and big pharma, and it's gonna push out a lot of people, we need to make sure that those who've been unfortunately discriminated against criminally and impacted are gonna be able to benefit. And so that's what we need to continue to push uh, for the legislation that occurs both at the state level and here at the local level, making sure we're supporting our elected officials in the General Assembly so that way we go forward as a much more equitable economic opportunity for all people, especially those who've not always had a chance to participate in that economic pie, which is black and brown citizens. Um, I'll echo uh, what, what uh, the councilman said. I, first, uh, thank you to uh, uh, Sister Sharon, Brother uh, Street, for hosting this. Um, I, I guess my thing is, and, and I hate to sound like the politician in the room, but um, as a political scientist, I want folks to understand that everything does come down to the ballot box. Um, and, you know, oftentimes we have these events and we try to shy away from the politics that's involved in it. But the truth of the matter is elected officials do what you want them to do based off of how you vote. It's really just that simple. Um, I can tell you when I'm in a room and we're deciding how folks are going to vote, there are members who are in that room like, I can't vote this way. You know, Todd, you, you've been there. I can't vote this way because of my district. Or I got to vote this way because of my district. Because at the end of the day, every elected official's number one job, unless they're ready to retire, is to get reelected. Um, um, and we do a whole lot of good stuff, and I've been blessed to do good things. But if I'm not in my seat, I can't do the good work. So always in the back of my mind when I'm looking at legislation is, how is this going to affect my district, and what are the political ramifications for me doing this or not doing that? Now, here's the thing. We have to make this issue the issue that is on the minds of enough elected officials for us to get it passed. It's, it's really just that simple. If people are thinking, if I don't support cannabis, I'm not going to get reelected. If I don't support the legalization of adult use, I won't get reelected. You will see more people voting in favor of it, right? I know yeah, people hate hearing this. You know, they hate here, oh, you got to vote, you got to vote, you got to vote. But I'm telling you, you know, folks think that, I, tell, I used to tell people all the time, um, folks think that things happen in Harrisburg just because it's a good idea. No, things happen in Harrisburg because of leverage. And what you have to do is give your elected officials the leverage. And the way you do that is by your organizing and by your activism. If you want your government to do something, force them to do it. My, my, one of my mentors was a, a, a seasoned elected official uh, by the name of Hardy Williams. And, and Hardy used to say something simple. He said, power to the people because it's the people's power. Well, sometimes we forget that, that it is actually our power. And we allow people to tell us what they're going to do and not going to do from an elected perspective. But you have to tell them what you want. So if you don't know your, so the first thing is, if you don't know who your state representative is or who your state senator is, you need to find out who they are. That's the first thing. Go to 70.org, which is the Committee of 70's website. They got a tool right on there. You put in your address. It'll show you every elected official from the city, state to the federal level. The second thing I want you to do, once you find out who they are, if you do not know, is pick up your phone and follow them on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and whatever social media sites you got. If you can follow Kim Kardashian, you can follow your state rep. Because I promise you, what your state rep does is gonna affect your life more than what Kim K does. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's it. The third thing, the third thing, the third thing is call them. Tech, you know, call their office, send an email, send a message on social media and let them know. I'll, I can tell you this, there have been times where we've been in the chamber and we're about to vote on something and somebody else say, well, I got X, Y, and Z, I got 100 emails about this, or I got 50 calls about this, or I got 10 calls about this, right? 
That is how a lot of elected officials are determining what they're going to do. I'll say this last thing, and I'll give them credit for this. There's one person, one one organization I saw this do effectively, and that's Uber. And be honest, we were doing a couple years ago. I don't know if you, I don't know if you, I think you may have been there. Yeah, I was there. But we were doing some ride sharing legislation, right? And Uber went to their platform and sent out an email saying, you know, click on this and tell your legislator that you want them to pass ride sharing legislation, right? Our email system crashed. We actually had to, we, I know in my chamber, we created a second email address so that you could forward those emails into that address so that our emails weren't getting clocked because we were getting hundreds of emails an hour because people, because I mean, if you think about it, you got to log on to, uh, to Uber with your information. So they got it all. So they were just sending this message and people were like, hell yeah, I want Uber in Pennsylvania. They was clicking it and everybody was getting inundated with all of these emails. It got everybody's attention, everybody. So at the end of the day, this is all, you know, big part of this is about y'all. It's about you. It's about your neighbors. It's about this community. And how bad do we want this? We want it bad enough if we organize hard enough. And if we activate folks, we can get this done. Thank you. Wow. Wow, what a great panel. Uh, what a great panel. 80% of people in almost every demographic, at least 80% of people in every demographic, old, young, black, white, and as uh, folks would say, 18 and 80, blind, crippled, crazy, every, um, people support the legalization of cannabis. And in some demographics, it's way higher than 80%. Um, the power, uh, as Representative the Whip Harris said, is with people. We need people to be engaged and let folks know where they stand on the issues because, we're, because if the legislature voted like the public's uh, consistent with the public's opinion this would get done quickly and as we do it we want to make sure that it's engaged that, that women owned businesses can participate that this will open this up to people of color the small farmers uh, and um, a diverse and, e and especially people who've been impacted and over policed in their war on cannabis can participate as well uh, and certainly we want to make sure that poor folk who, who uh, whether they're black, white, or whatever, um, can participate in the market. And so we want to thank our esteemed panel and all the great work that they have done. Let's give a big crown for our panel. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.